IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode, it's part one of our annual IndieCasties award ceremony. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. I wonder if he posted his Spotify rap this year. Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Uh, no Spotify rap. We are just about the Rhapsody recap or something. I don't know. Like Before this episode, <laughs> I had to try to... Um, de- I-, I did a little bit of research on like the shuttered audio streaming services that came before us. And like most of them were just like naps. It, it was like ways to like, you know, kind of... Uh, legitimize napster or something like that like audio galaxy or things like that yeah but rhapsody that's the one right there you know i remember back um you know back when i worked in an office with like some people who were you know above the age of 50 or whatever we had this like one person who would still use i think rhapsody that that, i think that was i think that was like the one that um was associated with napster uh it's i love it yeah fascinating that one didn't uh, stand the test of time yeah, I wonder, you know, if at some point there's going to be nostalgia for shuttered uh, streaming platforms in the same way that we inevitably go back mm-hmm. to physical formats of the past. You know, you <laughs> had the vinyl revival, you got cassettes, you got the CD revival. In 2028, <laughs> is there going to be a younger generation repping for Rhapsody? Like, this is this is back when people really cared about music <laughs> this is the right way to listen to music it was on rhapsody while you're reading about your favorite band on myspace <laughs> yeah i i think there's you know some people will say that there are certain albums that are best suited to the format like some albums just sound better on vinyl some albums are just really suited to cd and maybe that's the case with like certain streaming as well like i know that you know muse b-sides you can't hear them anywhere else but on like you know napster or what have you like that there's just no there's just no separating the medium from the message i want to hear the bluegrass cover of gin and juice (laughs) that was mistakenly attributed to fish Uh, i gotta hear that on uh mp3 from napster i i brought up the spotify rap thing because this is the time of year. It, it reminds me of how, like, when Bill O'Reilly had his TV show, and every year after Thanksgiving, you'd start seeing the War on Christmas stories. Oh. <laughs> it was always about the War on Christmas. You don't really hear about War on Christmas anymore, but th- there was a time where you just hear about the War on Christmas. And I feel like lately, in the last few years, the War on Christmas story in music, social media... <laughs> Is about Spotify Wrapped because you get people out here posting their Spotify Wrapped, which, if you don't know what that is, every year if you're a subscriber to Spotify, they send you this summary of what you listen to this year, and it's actually very cleverly packaged. It, it looks like someone designed a website to do a year-end recap of just your personal music taste. So if like a Pitchfork did their favorite albums of the year, but it was just about you. Like that's what the <laughs> Spotify rap looks like. And you know, people get this emailed to them and it's very fun and they like to post it. They like to say, oh, these were my top five artists of the year. These are the genres I listen to the most. And it seems harmless, except mm-hmm. this is where the war on Christmas comes in. You have people... Pointing out correctly that Spotify is bad for artists. Big news. Big if true. And that <laughs> and that posting your Spotify wrapped is in essence giving this platform that doesn't need it free publicity. So you got on one hand the, the pro Spotify wrapped people who I think are just, again, I don't think they're even thinking about Spotify. They're thinking about themselves, their own music taste. They think it's kind of a fun thing. And then you get the anti- Spotify rap people. So I wanted to ask you, Ian, what are the ethics <laughs> of posting a Spotify rap? Do you have a Do you have a stance on this well, at all? Well, you know, I think if this hadn't occurred in 2021, 2022 was the year where I pretty much fully pivoted to Apple Music um, for the fact that, like, the sound quality of the streaming is higher and it allows you to consolidate uh, your downloads and, 
streaming if you've downloaded as many you know like Lil Wayne and like clips mixtapes from like datpiff.com and you want to listen to them at the gym uh you know it has to be apple music that being said every time i see you know spotify wrapped compared to apple's um what's it even apple replay that's what it's called uh, it just shows that which no one cares yeah, about. And, no one, no one's posting their <laughs> Apple replay. Yeah, in every other capacity, like Apple Music lacks so badly behind Spotify because it is completely useless as a social tool. Um, and you know, I think with like Spotify Wrapped, it's you know, in some ways, it's an engagement tool. Like I get it in the sense that you know, if you're posting Spotify Wrapped, that shows that you're complicit in the ripping off of artists. Or, you know, in the alternative, it just might be, hey, these are the bands I liked. You know, it's easier. It, it, it's more fun. It's more colorful than just posting this dull ass, like, here are my top 10 albums list. Um, and, yeah, I mean, when I was at work yesterday, you know, most of the people who were there who I would say are very much not as online as myself, they just love talking about it. And, you know, like, the funniest part is that most of the people there, it was like, yeah, my top artists were like Taylor Swift. One person was Weezer. Um, just <laughs> not, like, you know, we have these jokes. It's like, oh, yeah, so like I think Alex G must have tipped the scales because I see this guy in like every single Spotify, um, every single Spotify rap. It's just like not that deep. And I don't think most people think about the ethics, but it's like, you know, like why, like why rapped? Like as opposed to like all year, you know, saying that like, Spotify is, you know, evil and like bankrupting guards, but we'll get to that in a second. I mean, as far as like, you have to be, I think, just kind of real deep into, you know, the ethical quagmire of like indie music in 2022 to think that posting Spotify rap is itself like a, a public, like whatever the opposite of a public good is. Yeah. yeah. I just want to say quick that I love to imagine someday like the people you work with listening to this podcast <laughs> and realizing how much fodder we get from the conversations because to me it would be like that scene in the Truman show where Jim Carrey realizes that he's in a TV show <laughs> it's like i live inside of a music podcast <laughs> in reality um i mean you want to know the truth someone brought one of my friends, I actually brought it up in like a uh, team meeting and like no one gave it. Like people, people, they, 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 they thought she was probably kidding. Like, oh, this guy has a podcast. So that's funny. Like, do, hey, guys, do you know that Ian co-hosts the leading indie rock <laughs> podcast in the world? Do you the only that? one, not just the leading one. That's true. And it was just crickets. Yeah. Just don't appreciate it at all. Um, you're, I, I like your point about Apple Music because... I actually have the same situation where I use that a lot more at this point because of the hard drive integration. Although for me, it's not like the little Wayne mixtapes, <laughs> it's Grateful Dead bootlegs and Bob Dylan bootlegs and stuff like that. But yeah, it's like the way that I can listen to all this music I have downloaded along with stuff I need to stream. Uh, Basically, I only use Spotify at this point for work. Mm. So if I'm researching something, I'll I'll use it. Or if uh, if I'm writing, and I just need music in the background to help me zone out, so I can concentrate on what I'm doing. That's what I use it for. So like I would never post my Spotify rap, setting aside the ethical quandary of it. I just don't want people to see how much Chicago I listen to. <laughs> Over the course of a year, because I listen to like a lot of soft rock when I'm when I'm writing, because it's easy, it's comforting to me, and it's also easy to uh, not pay too close of attention when I'm when I'm writing. So it's like Chicago's hard for me to say I'm sorry is probably my most streamed song of the year. I don't really want people to see that in my Spotify Wrapped, um, but I yeah you know I'm I'm with you. I you know the thing is is that. I generally agree with the concept that like you you don't want to give Spotify free publicity because they they don't need it. Mm -hmm. um, but I also feel like this is basically a fun innocuous thing that in and of itself is not taking money out of artists' pockets. I mean, this is a much bigger issue than just the Spotify rap thing. I just find it this is like a tiresome holiday tradition at this point. <laughs> The war over Spotify wrapped. It is the war on Christmas. 
of uh, music Twitter. Uh, it's funny because when we get to the indie casties here, when we're going to get to them in a minute, I know everyone's excited for the indie casties. One of our categories, of course, is most annoying music Twitter narrative. And this was like a late comer mm-hmm. this year, the, uh, the Spotify rap thing. We'll see if that won the award. I have a feeling it's going to be in the mix, but we'll, we'll see if it won. Uh, but before we get to the indie casties, let's uh, get to our mailbag segment. And uh, thank you all again for writing in. Uh, it's always great to hear from our listeners. Uh, do you want to read this letter, Ian? Yeah, boy, we are dipping into Santa's IndieCast Indie Santa mailbag right here. Um, this is this is a real fun one. Like this, like we love this one so much that we have to focus on it, even though it's not actually a question. So, uh, hey, Stephen, Ian, no question this week, but I feel like you should be made aware. Always a great way to start. I feel like you should be made aware of this event in London. Winston, disgraced Mumford banjo player, no last name, and Ariel Marshall. Pink. Winston Marshall. Winston Marshall. All right. Winston, disgraced Mumford banjo, Mumford banjo player. Munjo Banford player. And, <laughs> and Ariel Pink are having a conversation about freedom of expression in the music industry. Both freedom and expression are capitalized. Uh, Kyle from London links to this and... Um, should we like, I mean, I feel like we should at least in the show notes somehow link to this cause you really got to see it anyway. It's, yeah. it's just down the road from Kyle and he's super tempted to attend out of curiosity, but he's worried he might be put on some kind of list in doing so. How do we even begin to process this information? So by the way, this event, it's on December 6th, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Tuesday after this episode posts. And you can live stream it, it oh. uh, looks like. So uh, so uh, those, those of us around the world uh, can enjoy this. You know, this it really is a shame. You know, most of the time I'm glad that we, we don't have a video component to the <laughs> show because we record in the morning and we're both pretty haggard, uh, I think, at, at this hour. But I do wish that we could show this photo that they have with the event uh, here in real time. We'll have to, like you said, put it in the show notes so people can look it up themselves. But basically you have Winston Marshall on the left and he's striking a very thoughtful pose. It looks like he's like in the middle of literally stroking his chin (laughs) in this photo. And then you have Ariel Pink (laughs) on the right, just looking extremely Ariel Pink. Yeah. Uh, Just straight out of central casting of aerial pink photos and uh according to the uh the listing here it says indie legend aerial pink by the way like the right wing they never became a bigger fan of aerial pink than after january 6th like he becomes like an indie icon all of a sudden yeah, like on the right. Yeah, mature mature know. themes like underrated out like all Fox News number one uh, album of 2012. I'm surprised they didn't do like a 10 year anniversary on it. But also like the fact that there's you know th- this website like unheard. It's like un and capitalized H. Like you know to separate yourself from the herd. Like think of like minor yes. steps out of step album cover. Um, you know they 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 say it's like hey man we're not. Left wing, we're not right wing. We're just asking questions, and lo and behold, like there's a discussion about like freedom of expression in music is Ariel Pink and the guy from fucking Mumford and Sons who had get like not the guy who got like kicked out of a strip club. I'm pretty sure that's not the same guy. Uh, no, the guy who got kicked out of the band for like being a little too alt right for this like kind of old timey retro band. <laughs> Well, okay, so the listing says indie, le- indie legend Ariel Pink became a pariah from the music business after he attended the January 6th rallies in support of Donald Trump. That's true. That's, that's, <laughs> that sentence still makes me laugh. We asked him if there's a free speech problem in the arts in conversation with Winston Marshall, who left the band Mumford & Sons after a media storm of his own. Huh. So he, I don't know if he was fired. I think he left. I don't know. It might have been like, did he jump or was he pushed right. type situation. Um, you know... I feel a little bad for the banjo player here because if if memory serves, the uh, furor over him, and I'm putting furor in quote marks, was that he recommended a book by Andy No, who's this well-known journalist on the right. He reports a lot on Antifa issues. Uh, 
and I don't want to get into the Andy No stuff, but he's a controversial figure. Yeah. Online as a journalist, often associated with like alt, like alt right type stuff. Um, and look, that's a dumb thing for the banjo player to be doing, but it's like, why was he recommending books in the first place? <laughs> like, yeah. you're the banjo player <laughs> in Mumford and Sons. Like, just be the banjo player. I don't understand, you know, because we talk about freedom of expression, but it's like, people are expressing themselves too much <laughs> these days. And, and I include myself in this. Yeah. I'm, I'm posting all the time. I'm saying stuff I probably don't need to say. I don't need to share all these opinions that I'm sharing. I'm not being paid to be posting. I'm just doing it compulsively. And sometimes I put my foot in my mouth, as we all do. Um, it's like, why are you... Why, like, are you Oprah's book club? Like, why are you doing this? It just seemed like such an unforced error. You had 20 years ahead of you of staying in nice hotels, having a good, solid salary... Probably the highest paid banjo player in the world. Steve Martin. I say maybe Steve Martin gets more. Oh, right. Okay. You're right. You're right. Okay. That's true. But, you know, Steve Martin isn't exclusively a banjo player. He has other things going on. Winston Marshall, to my knowledge, is not also a stand-up comedian (laughs) and actor and writer. Alt-right gadfly. Uh, That's what he is. So, I I, I don't know. I, I guess I just feel like... He got caught up in this posting hysteria mm-hmm. that has swept the world. The other thing about him, too, is that I am confident in declaring that like the average Mumford & Sons fan has no idea this thing ever happened and has no idea who Andy No is. And this thing could have just like drifted away if he decided not to make himself a martyr. Right. You know, Because Mumford & Sons, I think they had a photo taken with jo- uh, Jordan Peterson. They did. Before and like that just kind of went away, mm. because most of the fans, most people who care about that band, don't care about that, and they just pretended like it didn't happen and people forgot about it. My sense of this Winston Marshall guy is that he's turned himself into a martyr over recommending this stupid book. Mm. It's like just be a well-paid banjo player. Yeah, I don't understand it. You got caught in posting hysteria <laughs> that has gripped the world. I mean, I, I just got to know what sort of political tracks like the auxiliary percussionist and glass animals will recommend. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, like I, that's what, you know, we're, we're tired of talking to the lead singer. We just got to talk like, hey, let's give like the bassist a little bit of action in this interview and just see if they've got these takes that they've had to repress for so many times. But, you know, I think this I really wish you could see the photo because like. As you as you mentioned, the the banjo player, he's like leaned in in a way where it's like, oh, this guy has had this conversation many, many, many times. Uh, you know, it could be taken from any one of the roundtables. I'm sure he's done on this. And then you have like Ariel Pink. Like, there's no like I have very little doubt this picture was not taken within the past ten years. Um, he just looks like, oh, let's get Ariel Pink in there, and you know. I see that maybe, I don't know if sympathy is the right word. Maybe sympathy, because sympathy entails, like, pity. Um, Like, with Ariel Pink, it's like Winston Marshall, I guess. Winston Banjo. We're going to call him Winston Banjo to save myself some time (laughs) and brain cells. You know, he's made himself this sort of alt-right figurehead, whereas Ariel Pink... Now, mind you, like, I'm not saying he's, like, completely innocent in this, like... You being in Washington D.C. for January 6th took a lot of fucking effort. There are so many times where you're like, this guy from L.A. could be like, yeah, I, I think I'm gonna call this off. It's like really fucking cold in D.C. at that time. I know you could have watched it on yeah, television. You could and, and and said to your friends, oh yeah, I think Donnie is on the right <laughs> on this. You know, he's in the right. You could have just done yeah. that. No one would have been the wiser. But yeah, you're getting on a plane. You're booking a hotel. Yeah. You're buying a warm jacket. You're, you're for you know you and John Mouse are like doing whatever it is you do. But he's just been this guy who's best looked. I mean, I'm pretty sh- sure that he's you know mentally unwell in some circumstance. Like, I mean, I think that's kind of been the a, a running theme throughout his entire career. But you know, like he gets put on like Fox News and like looks just completely shell shocked. He's the subject of this really weird tablet profile. Uh, which is otherwise like uh, like kind of a Jewish culture magazine, and now this it's like, look, 
I guess if you got like you got to do something with your time, um, you know, you might as well, I guess, like lean into it in a way. Um, but I mean, a part of me, kind like a small, 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 small part of me wants to just like see what this is like because, but like oh, in yeah. reality, this is probably just like the saddest fucking thing, and like any time. You know, Winston, like, I'm sure, like, Winston has his crowd-pleasing lines that people will, like, clap their hands to. You know, anytime they mention Andy No or Jordan Peterson or, hey, I'm just asking questions, guys. You know, round of applause for 10 minutes. Um, I mean, it's... It, it just... I mean, the thing is, the thing with the, thing with the banjo player, and this is my theory, mm-hmm. is that he's insecure about being a banjo player, and he's like... I need to be seen as an intellectual. <laughs> I need to be seen as more as just Winston Banjo. And he just overextended himself. Yeah. And he's doubled down on that. And he's posing for photos where he's stroking his chin, mm. sitting next to Ariel Pink. Meanwhile, he could have been on a private jet flying to Dubai yeah. to play a Mumford & Sons concert for like... The World Cup or something some, like that. Yeah, yeah. So Or some prince, like some private party making a million dollars. He could have been doing that forever, but he decided he being Winston Banjo wasn't enough for him, and he had to be an intellectual. And it's just it's a trap that so many people fall into. Mm-hmm. Just appreciate your gig; it's a good gig. You don't need to be recommending books. You don't need to be an intellectual. Yeah, play your banjo. Play your banjo. How can you not be happy playing a banjo? People hear banjo, they instantly get happy. Yeah. Marcus Mumford, if you're listening, man, like I will totally learn banjo, play banjo, and offer no political opinions whatsoever. So <laughs> I will keep my mouth shut. Yeah. I will play the banjo. I will. I will keep myself in line because that just sounds like a good life to me. Playing banjo all the time. I. I who needs more than that? Um, we should say to Kyle though. Yes. The, our letter writer, you are our official freedom in music. London correspondent. So I think you need to go to this and report back and let us know. It's unfortunate this is happening after the indie casties because mm-hmm. I feel like this could have been a good indie castie potential winner, uh, this event, but uh, it's a little too late. But yeah, Kyle, uh, we can't pay you. This is a pro bono mm-hmm. position, but if you could be our freedom and music correspondent in London and go to this event and report back to us. We're going to need to shoot some photos and some video as well. Uh, but we would love to do that so we can share that with our listeners. And we'll get that in before the end of the year. Um, should we get to the Indie Casties? Let's get to the Indie Casties. I mean, I, can, I, got, I, got, I got hours worth of banjo material. But you know what? We got to save something for 2023. That's yeah, true. So um, for those who don't know, and you probably know, but the Indie Casties, yeah. it's our annual award. And we're, we spread it out over two episodes. We're going to do five categories today, five categories next week. This is us looking back on the year and uh, giving out awards uh, in various categories. And we're just trying to honor the best and also the worst of <laughs> yeah. the year. Uh, how do you feel about 2022 in general? Do you have any like overall comments about the, the past 12 months? I guess. I don't know. I think that uh, doing this year end list and maybe like not being able to participate in Spotify wrapped as well. I think 2022 has been a year where I, I mean, this has been an increasing thing where I just feel kind of, uh, you know, disconnected from the overall narrative and kind of digging back deep into my own, you know, little sphere. Uh, when actually like Spotify wrapped, like I listened to Spotify to listen to, uh, podcasts and it turns out, like, I got way more into podcasts this year than music. It's like, um, my impression of this year is that it's like, I guess, a kind of back to, I hate using the term back to normal, but like, I've been going to concerts all year. Um, you know, the, uh, like, all albums aren't necessarily, um, you know, based on the pandemic. Uh, and, and I mean, it was, it, not, it, uh, 2021 was a very significant year in many ways for me, but like 2022 was just kind of a hold serve sort of year. I'm just very curious on how I'm going to look back on 2022 is like, oh, yeah, I guess that happened. Oh, Turnstile played a Taco Bell commercial. I guess that was cool. Yeah, so we're going to get to our favorite albums of the year. It's going to be in a few weeks. We're going to do a recap of that. And 
I think I'm mostly with you. I think this was like a good year for music. I, I made, I've already made my top 15 list, and I feel really good about the 15 I picked. I don't think I did any reaches. I, I really like what I put on my list, and there were also like a lot of records that I liked a lot that didn't make the list, but if I had a longer list, they would have made it. Um, but yeah, you know, it, we'll get into this with the indie casties. You know, we didn't have like a great album cycle. That was a train wreck this year. You know, we didn't have like a lot of objectionable, funny things like we did last year and in 2020. And I think it's like you're saying maybe we're stabilizing a little bit and people knew what they were doing a little bit more in 2022. So good for the music business, bad for us in the podcasting business. Um, (laughs) But let's get to our first category here. And by the way, we have not seen each other's winners. We're nope. in the dark. as So I don't know what you picked, and you don't know what I picked for any of these categories. So it's going to be fun to talk about this. Let's get to our first category. Most annoying music writer Twitter story. <laughs> uh, this, is a, uh, this is one of my favorite categories in the indie casties. We, we, we have this every year. There's usually a lot of good fodder for this. I had three things... That were vying for the winner for me. One of which I'll say, because we've already talked about it, the Spotify rap thing was in mm-hmm. the running for me. But there's two other things. I'm curious if they were also for you. Like, What is your winner in this category? So I'm, I'm demonstrating a, perhaps a newfound maturity in my outlook because I had a few candidates and I... Uh, when we've talked about this stuff in past episodes, it has made my Twitter like really fucking unusable for like two days. So uh, I'm like, I think we both know what the most annoying music writer story is. And, you know, I don't want to even like mention it by name because, you know, the, fu- <laughs> the thing about like most annoying music writer Twitter stories is that they are the product of you know, to varying degrees, music writers who are annoying kind of by default. And, you know, most music writers have rabbit ears. So um, I I don't want to, they have rabbit ears and I don't want to poke that bear. We're really mixing metaphors here. But uh, for me, you know, the most annoying music writer Twitter stories are the ones that there are two commonalities in it. One is that um, it, tries to be, I guess, it tries to tell you what to do with your money. And the second version is the ones that try to elevate music writing or like even participation in music Twitter as this higher calling, like something (laughs) that is way more important than it needs to be. So, you know, my winner, can I, is it cool if I reveal my winner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, I know what you're alluding to before. Yeah. I don't know if we should cryptically no. say what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Are we not going to? Okay. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. So I, I, I'm going to hand it to Spotify rap because, uh, yeah, we've already kind of mentioned it. But like to me, this embodies everything that I find to be um, irritating about the music discourse because like, yeah, Spotify kind of sucks. Uh, I mean, it sucks a lot. In, in many ways is both the experience and for the artist and also like i just don't know how we put this parachute back in the parachute holder um you know there's i just don't like music always progresses forward i think that was kind of the case with like napster as well it's like we can't go backwards to just the sheer physical you know a sheer like just buying music physically and you know, for everyone who doesn't benefit from Spotify, which are like 99%, there are people who have kind of figured out how to adapt to the new realities. Um, you know, people who like are able to make a career off music, uh, but just not in the general like, you know, make an album every two years sort of way. And I don't want to sound like Daniel Eck right here, but it's like um, it just see, a lot of like the anti Spotify Raptor Spotify sentiment uh, just seems to be like kind of, uh, as the saying goes, like playing tennis without a net, um, or just like kind of playing like ping pong against the wall. It it's just a way to for people to, I guess, just kind of be sanctimonious 
without any real call for action. Because, I mean, think about it. It's like we're all in a recession. Like, gas is $5 a gallon. Uh, and you're going to say, like, hey, I know you're enjoying listening to all this music, but what you really should do is pay 18 bucks for this album that you may or may not like for, you know, because that, like, that form was, like, kind of ex- exploitative itself. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, right. It's tough when we're talking about the music business picking the ethical way to listen to music because it seems like there's pitfalls everywhere and it's good to be yeah. aware of these things but yeah it, it, it this is also the world that we live in it's sort of like being an author and how you relate to amazon and knowing all the weird thing oh, not even weird that's a very <laughs> uh sort of defanged of you know, all the evil things that amazon does but also knowing at the same time that it's like the primary way that a lot of people buy books so you know, how do you engage with that if you're in this industry? It's a difficult thing and it can be oversimplified for sure. Um, for me, my winner here, and this is my original winner, not even talking about the thing that we're not going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the conversation in general about Big Thief. Uh. That really disappointed me this year, I have to say, consistently. You know, and of course we had the broification of Big Thief that we talked about. That one was, you see, I didn't nominate that one because to me that was more funny than it was annoying. Well, I just feel like Big Thief to me made a really great record that I think is kind of a landmark record. And I don't know if like the discourse rose to the occasion with this band because (laughs) I feel like a lot of the conversation about them had nothing to do with their music it was all about like either their promo photos or like <laughs> them booking the show in Israel, uh, which mm-hmm. I don't want to get into debating whether that was a good idea. Uh, there's this weird ongoing thing like where the New York Times is like shadow banning Big Thief. <laughs> there's like a weird thing going on there. I don't I don't know what's going on. Winston um, Banjo's probably got some things to say about that. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and I don't know. I just feel like um, that record came out. People were into it for about a week or two. And then it just seemed like the conversation around them got wonkier and wonkier as the year goes on. Which is fine. Look, again, like I understand. Like I'm in the pro Big Thief camp. I understand there's people that find them irritating for whatever the reason may be. Um I just felt let down by that. I feel like they put out a record that deserved better than it got over the course of the year. So that's more of a personal thing. But yeah, I just feel like we didn't rise to the occasion. That record deserved better over the course of the year. That band did. But it just they just got bogged down in all these kind of weird things that just didn't... It made them... It, it's like, this is a band I like, but it's like, I don't even want to talk about them now. <laughs> you know, it just seems to attract... Uh, like a weird vibe and I don't really know why. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I think it's doing well on year end list. Like it's certainly not like, I want to say like 2014, like Benji, where it was like, that was like a record kind of similarly came out early in the year. And then just a lot of really fucking unforced errors, like made it a lot harder to ride for by the end of the year. I think it's doing well on year end list, but yeah, it's, it's one of those situations, and I agree that it's kind of, the brofication thing is is fucking hilarious. But like the other stuff is, you know, I guess that's like the third thing for annoying music Twitter stories, which is that people are kind of like laundering their aesthetic distaste for Big Thief through like other modes. It's like just say the music sucks if you think it sucks. You know what well, I mean? And the thing that bothers me about the big thief discourse is that people were reacting to the reviews that were written initially of the record and they treated big thief like they were this sort of cultural monolith that was overbearing and right. that they were just treated as like gods and people were going crazy and it's like do we have any perspective on <laughs> how much they get versus any of the nation state pop stars that put out records yeah. <laughs> this year. I mean, to me, you know, the coverage of like a Taylor Swift record or a Beyonce record, it ought to put the praise for Big Thief in perspective. So like if that was why you were annoyed with them, I'm sorry, but it's it's a drop in the bucket compared to yeah. like what 
these huge ginormous pop stars get. So I don't know. But that's just me. I was one of the people that wrote a very glowing review. So maybe I have a, I obviously have a different perspective on that. Uh, I like uh, I like Big Thief, and I will continue to make fun of Buck Meek's hats. <laughs> that's that's where I stand. <laughs> All right, so our next category is called the Why Isn't This On Your List Award? <laughs> and this is for a consensus album that is truly overrated. So we're talking about records that have been well-reviewed, they're showing up on year-end lists, but for whatever reason, you and I are not on board with the praise. What is your choice for this award, Ian. So this, I think this category, like the fact that I feel like kind of nervous about it, I guess is a sign of maturity because, you know, if, like if this were like 10 years ago and I was more, you know, in tune with the narrative, like I'd come in and like my year end list, like resembled most of them, you know, most of the publication ones I'd come in like guns blazing, talking about like, you know, how every uh, thing that pe- the haters say about big thief, uh, you know, that it's impossibly precious and that it feels like it's five hours long and it's boring is like actually true of Florist. But like, <laughs> you know, I can tell that that record's not for me. Uh, and I can admit that. But, you know, the, the thing that makes this category tough is that I, you know, why isn't this on your list? Like no one's asking me why Taylor Swift's not on my list. So I have to kind of pick records that I think that like I actually like in a, in a way. Um, a couple of candidates that came to mind are... Alex G and Always, which are albums from artists who are, you know, like Gen Z millennial touchstones, both of whom made what were, you know, widely considered their best records of strong careers Um, and, you know, top tens and what I've seen so far. But to me, like they're more like 25 ish, like they never like struck me as masterpieces, maybe just like culminations of like slow builds towards you know, being an A-lister. So, I mean, those are candidates for me. Um, But this one's really hard for me to say because I think this person's super talented um, and I like this album and I really look forward to everything they're going to do going forward. But as far as the biggest discrepancy between what I think of this record and the reviews is Barty's Strange Farm the Table. Uh, I see. Uh, I had a feeling you were going to go here. But yeah. like with, with, with your buildup, I had a feeling you were going to go in this direction. So let me just clarify what we really mean by overrated. Because um, I feel like a big part of Live Forever, which I think is a great record, it's going to be seen as maybe like one of the definitive, uh, you know, debuts of this decade, is the kind of people arriving late to the Barty strange phenomenon. Like a lot of the narrative was just about how he was overlooked for so long for any number of reasons. And I feel like a lot of the praise that was due to live forever kind of got transferred onto farm the table, which is a good record. But to me, um, it's, you know, it, it seems like kind of an antics, uh, or, or a room on fire in a way where I think there are like, I think there are a couple of songs that don't, quite hold up on repeated listens. Um, and I think maybe the overrated part is that I, I expected kind of a masterpiece. And uh, this is just a good record that um, is does things that Live Forever did, but perhaps in a more muted way. Like if I could use a, if I could be very on brand and think of it in a foxing kind of way, like I got Dealer and I expected Nearer My God, but maybe Nearer My God, maybe the next Barty Strange album is like the third album, like where he really just explodes things and, uh, you know, just makes the masterpiece I know he has in him. But I think in some ways that this album, people were reviewing Barty Strange, the person who's extremely talented and likable. And the record itself was perhaps not like, as subject to uh, critical discourse as maybe it could have been. See, I I see where you're coming from. And in a sense, I agree that I think he's on the way to making his magnum opus. However, I do like that record a lot. And I don't want to spoil my list, but I'll say that that record was in the running for my list for sure. And we'll see if it made it. Also, I disagree about always, although, again, I I think I understand what you mean. Mm -hmm. I will say that if you divorce it from the reviews that it got and you just listen to the record itself, I think that the record totally justifies the love. 
you know, if it becomes a question of like whether people like it too much, I mean, I guess that's what we're being asked to do in this mm-hmm. category. But uh, I don't know. I love that record too. And that is also a contender for my year end list. We'll see if it made it. Um, I'm going to go with two bigger whales oh. that I think need to be taken down here. <laughs> um, the first one I'm going to say doesn't technically conform to the category because no one would ask this ask me why this isn't on my list. I've made it very clear this album was never going to be on my year-end list. But I've seen it on a lot of year-end lists. And I think it's actually not only like not a great record, I think it's a mediocre record. And that's Harry's House by Harry Styles. Uh, to me, easily the most overrated major pop star currently working for a variety of reasons. But let's just say the most important reason is that he makes very boring music. And this is a very boring record. And I think if you compare it to the other big blockbuster pop records, it doesn't hold a candle to the Weekend record, or the Beyonce record, even like sort of a lesser Taylor Swift record. Hmm. Um, although I will say, I think Harry Styles is will come up again in the Indie Casties. Next week, we're going to be talking about our MVPs of the year. And I think Harry Styles needs to be in the running for MVP in terms of just giving us fodder to talk about. So Harry... You may get redemption from me later on in the Indie Casties. The other album I have to say, and this is a record I like well enough, but it's being discussed as like one of the best indie rock records of the year. And to me, it's empty calories. Does not engage me emotionally at all. It's a fine record, but it's also a forgettable record in my estimation. And that is the self-titled debut by Wet Leg. Uh, uh, this, I think, very overrated record. And again, I get why people like it. I found that a lot of middle-aged guys like this record. Oh, yeah. The broification of wet leg. Middle-aged guys love wet leg. If you have a 48-year-old guy in your life <laughs> who likes indie rock, you can't get him to shut up about wet leg. Love wet right. leg. And I, I've, and look, God love him. That's cool. I've just had a lot of middle-aged guys come up to me unprompted and ask me what I think about wet leg. And I always have to be <laughs> polite in those conversations, again, I don't dislike them. I think that they're fine. I just think that that record, I put it on some clever songs on there. It's a fun vibe, but emotionally, I get nothing from it. Um, so, yeah, I just think that that record, which I've seen on every top ten list, pretty much, from like major publications so far, I feel like that's a little overrated. So those would be my two picks uh, in that category. Uh like all award shows, like we're running late here. I feel like we're going to have to blow through our last three categories today. Uh, let's get to our next category. This is the Hey, I Actually Like This Album Award for an artist you came to like this year. So this is, we kind of went a little negative in our previous two categories. This is a positive one. What do you have in this category? Someone who put out an album and like maybe you weren't a big fan of them before, but like you came around this year. So I think I like all of my candidates come from like kind of the same wave of um, British post post punk. Um, You know, for example, uh, my number my number two album of the year, actually Black Country New Road fucking hated that first album. And I actually listened, you know, I went back to it uh, this year uh, to think, oh, maybe the fact I love this new record will make me more, um, you know, more in line with the first one. Nope, still hate it. But the thing is, it annoyed me enough to intrigue me. So um, they're an example of that. I also think Jockstrap, a band that is affiliated with uh, Black Country New Road, uh, found that EP super annoying. Love the album. Um, And the one that actually, like, I feel the most surprised by, even more so than those, is a record that came in my top 10 this year, which is Gillo Band, Most Normal, formerly known as Girl Band. Um, I, you know, based on their name, based on like the reviews, based on everything I've read about them, I just assumed they were like one of those, um, kind of quasi idols, Fontaine's DC, you know, talky, talking about the absurdity of masculinity in the modern world type band. And in actuality, most normal is like a nasty fucking record. It reminds me a bit of, uh, Hey, what in that way? Um, where the guitars are like really super noisy and processed and there's no real intention to play it live. Um, but, you know, in a, in, a, in a year where I just always want something that I could play at the gym, it's always great to have a band like that come out and surprise me. Uh, just completely um, came out of nowhere. It's like, wait a minute, this band is my shit? 
because I, I I thought Black Country New Road could be, but this one really uh, stood as like, oh, maybe like British rock post-punk is like where I need to be looking at these days. So I have two choices for this category. The first one is a bit of a qualified choice because I liked this artist before 2022, but I never felt like he made a complete album. And this year he put out a record that is among my favorite albums of the year. I will say as a spoiler for my list, since you're already leaking some of your rankings, I'll, I'll leak some of mine. This is a top five record for me and it's Dawn FM by the weekend, Uh. um, which for me is the most entertaining big tent pop record of probably the last five years. Really love Mm. this record a lot. I feel like in a way this album is maybe suffering from like release too early in the year syndrome because it came out in January and you know, we've had other big records that have come out since then. And maybe people have forgotten how good this album is, but I really think it is the record where the weekend pulls it all together, where it's not just about the singles it's about the whole record. Even the spoken word tracks on that record, I think, are really well done and entertaining and replayable. Uh, so definitely one of the most entertaining albums of the year for me. The other one I have to say, and we recently talked about this band, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Yes. Uh, this was a band that I tried for years to get into, and I always appreciated what they did, but they never really made a record that landed for me. Uh, it was more about the idea of what they do, that that they're so prolific and that they can dabble in different genres and they play really adventurous live shows. But this year, I feel like, well, first of all, they put out five albums this year. Yeah, I was about to say, like, be more specific. <laughs> yeah, they put out five records this year, including three in one month. And uh, I actually liked a lot of the records that they put out this year. Like, like mm-hmm. three or four of them I thought were really quite good. But the my, the one that stands out for me is Ice, Death, Planets, Lungs, Mushrooms, and Lava. That's all one album title. It's the album I like the most this year, whose album title I can never remember in full. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I can say Dragon, New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. I can say that, but this title is a little too long for me. But uh like this record a lot, and I think the difference for me is that they really just embrace being a jam band this year. And this record, it's... Very jam bandy, as opposed to mm-hmm. their earlier records that are more psych rock, more in that OCs ty- like Ty Siegel lane. Here, they've really embraced being like a Red Rocks headliner and being that kind of band. And I really like that transition for them. So yeah, they are my winner in this category. Um, mm-hmm. Let's get to our next category. This is biggest disappointment, and this category. I mean, we, we have it open ended. I don't know what you said in your category. I have two albums that I think qualify uh, in this category for biggest disappointment of the year. What are, did you pick an album? Like what did you put on as the winner in this category? So, you know, a bit of cross promotion. I recorded an episode of our endless scroll about biggest disappointments. And, you know, what I learned from that is disappointment comes in many shades. I mean, you know, you could throw in, the many ways that Arcade Fire's We disappointed us, like both as a record and as a phenomenon like that has made them pretty much unlistenable to me. But I thought kind of bigger picture as far as no album itself disappointed me so much as the winner, which I would say is uh, Fifth Wave Emo as a whole. Um, <laughs> okay. So, and, and what I mean by that is, now look, I, I'm going to have 10 albums to put on the Uproxx uh, Best Emo Albums list that I'm working on right now, but um, specifically from like a lot of the bands who um, excited me in 2021 and 2022, you know, maybe they're working on new music or what have you, but it seems like a lot of my favorite albums of this genre in 2022 are, you know, kind of stuff that follows more of like the 2013 or the 2018 mode. Like I love the Pool Kids record. I love the Anxious record. Uh, love the Ben Quad record. But none of them really like strike me as like, oh, this is like a new form of the genre in the same way that like Home Is Where did or Glass Beach did. Um, and so I feel like it was kind of a muted year for the genre as a whole. Like there doesn't seem to be like any true breakouts, but also you have to take into account the fact that like I'm no longer as 
uh, central to the narrative. Like I'm not writing about as much music. I'm not having my pitches accepted as much. So, you know, maybe this is all happening outside of my uh, gaze, but it just seemed like this was a year of doubles and whatnot, as opposed to towering home runs. Yeah, I was going to say that the Pool Kids record is is one that I like quite a bit, and it's probably the emo record I like the most mm-hmm. from 2022. And it didn't make my year-end list, but it was close. I, mm-hmm. I considered it, but it, it would be, you know, if my list were like 25 albums, I think it would have made it, but it didn't make the top 15. Um, I have two albums here. That I think qualify you. You mentioned the Arcade Fire record, and it is interesting because there was an arc this year where at least some people were arguing that that was a comeback record for them, and then of course events conspired to totally turn <laughs> that around this year. But um, the first album that I want to mention is an album that I reviewed. I reviewed it negatively. I got some blowback from the stands for that. I feel like it was generally well-reviewed when it came out. And I think this artist had a good year overall. But it is interesting to me that I, I'm i really not seeing this album come up in uh, year-end lists. Or it doesn't seem like it's in the conversation at all. And maybe that's because it came out earlier in the year. But I also tend to think that maybe people have accepted that this is a weaker record by a very beloved indie artist. The record I refer to is Laurel Hell by Mitski. Um, I mean, I just came out, I looked at my review. It says disappointment in the headline. (laughs) So I was calling this back in, I think, February or so when this album came out. Um, I, I just feel like this record is weaker than Be the Cowboy and Be the Cowboy was weaker than Puberty 2. And, Mm-hmm. She's going in this in, in this direction that, for me, personally, is not very satisfying. But on the other hand, who cares about me? Because she, she's, I mean, she did establish herself, I think, as like a bona fide pop star this year. Uh, did very well on the road. Opened for the aforementioned Harry Styles on a stadium tour in, in Europe. Uh, so she's doing great and, and good for her. Because I, I am a Mitski fan. That's why I'm disappointed because I am a fan of her music, and this record I just thought was was weak compared mm-hmm. to the best of what she's done. So that, to me, immediately came to mind as a disappointing record. The other one I wanted to bring up, and this is maybe more of a question mark, mm. but do we want to call the Kendrick Lamar album a disappointment? Or are we withholding judgment with the belief that this is a dense, fascinating record that will reveal layers unforeseen to us now, like in 10 years. Because in the moment, it feels like a disappointment. But Mm -hmm. I have enough respect for him to believe that I will feel differently down the road. You know, I've gone back to this record um, after kind of the blast radius of its initial release, and I'm still pretty disappointed in it. But like, I'm disappointed in it in the same way that I'm disappointed but not disappointed by the 1975's record which by the way would have been a number a definite a-list candidate for this category had they not put on a really fucking awesome live show that i saw uh this past weekend but i think that in a way i'm like more satisfied with uh a record that kind of subdues the hype around each artist as opposed to like yet another masterpiece because now i think this makes you know, Kendrick, uh, more interesting to discuss going forward because, you know, I mean, look, the, the music he made before this pretty unimpeachable in some ways, but also there was like some flaws to it that weren't quite as discussed. Cause you know, he's like a Pulitzer prize winner or whatever. I think that this, a kind of what might be perceived as like a slip up or like some, a step down makes him far more interesting to discuss going forward, which to me, I don't know, almost feels like more, satisfying than yet another masterpiece that is roundly topping the year end list. Yeah, I, I, I get that argument too. And that's why I, I'm i putting a question mark after biggest disappointment with him because it is incredible to have a Kendrick Lamar record that really is not in the conversation for album of the year. Like people yeah, are number not 32. I've seen it as like 32 on some lists. Yeah. I mean, that is a pretty remarkable development for an artist of that stature who I would say 
definitely before this record, and maybe even still, it was the most respected artist working today. I don't think there was any question that, you know, around the time of like To Pimp a Butterfly, that he was the guy. And even with Damn, you know, that continued that. So to have him fall back in a way, but do it with a record that is obviously ambitious and obviously has like a lot of material on it that isn't meant to be understood in the moment. You know, he definitely made a record that I think you have to sit with for a long time. It's not like he just put out some half-assed, you know, 35 minute album, you know, Mm -hmm. there is a lot there and it is. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because of who he is, but yeah, in the moment, it's just not a record that I am ever excited to listen to. It, it It's kind of a slog, but yeah. it. I also feel like he's smarter and more brilliant than me. So I maybe need to catch <laughs> up to him. So, I, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for him in that regard. Let's get to our last category of this first part of the IndieCast season. And that is a most 2022 album of 2022. And um, the way I define this is... This is the album or the artist that people are going to play in movies when they want to signify 2022. You know, what do we think that is going to be? It's not necessarily the best album. It's the album that kind of feels the most of the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is your choice for this, Ian? Well, I mean, when you describe uh, the category as you did, uh, it gets one of my candidates to mind, which is Wet Leg. I think Wet Leg um not just the sound of 2022 but also just the i mean they they could have been in so many of these categories like most annoying uh music writer story <laughs> that true. could have qualified for that why isn't this on your list award uh there was a song or two where I'm like hey i actually kind of like this and also you know perhaps biggest disappointment i don't know because you know maybe it could have been like the 2022 like version of like the france ferdinand album or what have you or maybe that's really what it is but as far as the most 2022 album of 2022 in the sense that I'm going to remember this as like what it was like to experience music, you know, for the most part through the prism of music writer Twitter, I'm going to go with a bit of an unconventional choice is the unreleased 100 Gex album. Uh, because <laughs> this, this to me is like how it is just the greatest indicator of like how we can be online talking about music without really talking about music at all. I mean, this band had like pretty, a number of really significant in-depth profiles and they just always seem to be around despite the fact that there was like maybe one song that was like really not that great. You know, their influence uh, alone probably makes them like worthy of discussion, but um, in a year where I just felt like kind of like a ghost from the you know greater music discussion, I think this is an album that just sort of embodies the discussion about music without music aspect of 2022. Um, it's just it, it was just it's not it's not even like Dr. Dre's like detox or like smile where it's this like long fabled uh, you know tale of like you know mute, mute perfectionists tweaking and retweaking everything it's just like oh you're like yeah let's let's talk about 100 gex i guess you know what i mean and always like the dial adjusting it's like are we supposed to take them seriously or not or what what are we supposed to think of them so this is all discourse no music so to me this is 2022 at least for my experience so you mentioned already my winner in this category and that is wet leg I think that that is the most 2022 album of, of, of 2022. And again, I just go back to, if I'm imagining a movie made in 20 years about 2022, and I'm thinking about young people, and they're in a cafe, and they're talking about Nathan Fielder and the rehearsal, and they're oh, talking gosh. about Elon Musk buying Twitter, and they're talking about like the World Cup. And I don't know, I'm trying to think of other 2022 things here. Um, this is the album that will be playing in the background. It'll be Wet Leg. And maybe it's also because I feel like I don't know if this band has legs. And, uh, or I guess I see it, what you did there. That wasn't even on purpose. That wasn't <laughs> even a deliberate pun there. 
I, I am curious to see like what the second or third record from that band sounds like because they do seem like a bubblegum band in the sense that like it, it it tastes great for about 15 minutes and then it loses its flavor a little bit. I could be completely wrong though. This could be the next, this could be one of the big bands of the 2020s and uh, I could be totally proven wrong. But at the moment, I feel like they are such a time capsule of this year. And I know that they had singles before this year. So it's not like they're just an exclusive 2022 phenomenon. But uh, I think if I were a Svengali and I was designing a band that I knew would get press and get lots of streams, I could not do better than Wet Leg. And I'm not saying that they've been invented or anything like that. I'm just saying that they check so many boxes for like what does well on the internet. And my hat's off to them because it's worked out great. I hope they have a big career. But yeah, to me, they are so definitive for this year that when they make the 2022 period piece in 2042, they will be on the soundtrack. So I think that about does it for part one of the indie casties. Uh, but we have a lot more categories next week. So I'm looking forward to getting into it with you, Ian. Yeah, are we the biggest? Like, if there's, like, podca- indie podcast cast or something like that, are we the most annoying music writer Twitter story? Are we Absolutely. the disappointment? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> are yes. we the wet leg of 2022? Yes. That's what I'm asking. No question. We are the most annoying disappointments <laughs> in the indie cast or the indie rock in the indie cast sphere, but also the indie rock podcast sphere. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for listening to this episode. We'll be back with more news and reviews in indie casties next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the indie mixtape newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week and we'll send it directly to your email box. 